0: Hi, everybody. My name is Tina. Oh, thanks. So I am super stoked to be here, and I cannot wait to share with you what I just feel like God has just been brewing in my heart over the last couple weeks. But before we get started, let's just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to come. Dearly Father God, I thank you that you're good and that you're kind and that you're just. Lord, I ask that it is none of me and it's all of you Lord, I ask that Holy Spirit comes and will just speak to our hearts, and that we will just understand how you are a God of social justice. I thank you that you go before me. I thank you that you have ordained this night for every single one of these students, and I just ask for your peace and your wisdom as I communicate your word. And in your name we pray, amen. So thank you for being here tonight. I'm super excited. And so I know a lot of you may have seen me at, like, the first-time student desk or kind of around here, but I lead senior girls in small group, and I've been a small group leader for about a year and a half, and I've been coming to Revolution for about two years. But before we kind of jump into the Word, I kind of want to give you a glimpse into my life. So I actually just moved back to the United States about two years ago, and so I just want to share with you about who I am and just the passion God has given me me for social justice, and hopefully I'll be able to connect how Jesus serves social justice. So, and I have lots of slides, because I love a great visual. So, right up here, this first slide, this is actually my family. So, this is my mom and my dad. They've been married for 45 years, and they live here in Cherokee County. And then my sister and my brother-in-law and my niece and my nephew. So, I love being an aunt. (laughs) Is my absolute favorite thing in the world. And so, my, they actually live in West Virginia, so I don't get to see them very often, but that's just my family. And so, the next slide so, I was actually raised here in Cherokee County. I graduated from Woodstock High School in 2003, so a while ago. And this next slide, I kind of want to give you a picture of my life. So, I haven't always lived in the United States. So the houses represent where I've lived and then the airplanes represent all the different countries that I've had the opportunity to travel to. So I've lived here in the United States and then I also lived in Australia and in Southeast Asia in Thailand and Cambodia. And then I've been able to travel all throughout the world and one of my life goals is to hit every continent before Jesus comes back or before I go home to heaven. So with that being said, so for about five and a half, six years, I actually lived, like I said, in Thailand and Cambodia. So I lived in a town in Thailand called Chiang Rai. So this is Chiang Rai Beach, and I use the term beach very loosely because it's actually a lake. Um, And so it's located in Northern Thailand. So this next slide shows kind of what it looked like where I lived. So in Northern Thailand, it's super tropical. That's where where I was, where all the world's coffee and tea and rice comes from. We have monsoon season, rainy season, And then this next slide shows, this is kind of the area where I worked. So within Northern Thailand, there's the indigenous tribes, and they are a native group to Thailand. And so part of my job is I actually worked for a nonprofit for five and a half years. So at the time, I was a hairdresser. So I'm a retired hairdresser. I've done hair almost 14 years. Now I'm a full-time student, just like you. So I write papers and read all the time. And so this next slide shows, this is kind of what a traditional house looks like within Northern Thailand. So that's the kitchen, typically underneath that's where the cows and the chickens are. And so what's interesting is that I actually ran hair and beauty programs for middle school and high school girls. So the next slide is a picture. This is my school in Cambodia. As you can see, the mannequin heads are on the stand. They're ready to have their hair cut. And then this next slide is my school, which was in Thailand. And so, kind of what's interesting is that I get I got to teach girls how to do hair beauty, get them ready to go to public school, walk through them to kind of build their education plan and their career path, and then they would then leave and go be able to support their families as well as take care of themselves through a financially lucrative job. However, the flip is the girls that I worked with, which this next slide will show, this is at the graduation ceremony that we would have. So you might be thinking, okay, Tina, why are their faces covered? This is where it's a bit different. So, the girls I worked with were survivors of human trafficking. So, their faces are covered, one, to protect their identity, and two, some have court cases pending. So, middle school and high school girls, they had survived human trafficking, would come into our program, and then I had the opportunity to work with them, share Jesus, teach them a skill, and then send them back to a safe family. However, just to clarify, I think sometimes we hear the word human trafficking constantly in the media, constantly on Facebook. So what I want to do is kind of give you a global picture and then shrink it down. So human trafficking is defined by U.S. law as the use of force, fraud, or coercion to compel a person into commercial sex acts, labor, service against his or her will. So human trafficking is not a choice. Secondly, the latest statistic, as of 2016, 40.6 million people are in modern-day slavery. So modern-day slavery is another word for human trafficking. So that's the global picture. So let's break it, let's kind of make it a little smaller. So current statistic now, again, by the International Labor Organization states that for every 1,000 people in the world, 5.4 are victims of modern-day slavery. So think about it. 1,000 people... 5.4 are victims of modern day slavery. The thing is, human trafficking is an injustice to God. And when God sees it, I believe it breaks his heart. And part of my journey was walking that with God and learning that Jesus ensures social justice. So say that with me, Jesus ensures social justice. So this is what kind of our message is on tonight. So you might be thinking, okay, Tina, how does human trafficking connect with Mark five? I'm so glad you asked and I'm very excited to tell you. So the thing is, is that Jesus serves social justice. So what we're gonna look at through Mark five is that society will oppress and marginalize individuals for their social status, their race, ethnicity, their finances, their gender, culture of origin or disabilities. However, despite what society says and labels you as, you are a son and daughter of the Most High King. There's, There's no label society can put on you that Jesus cannot take away. So as we dive in, we're going to be in Mark 5, 25 through 34, and we're going to change it up a bit so everyone can stand up, because we're going to honor the Word, because I love the Bible. I believe it's the most important book, and we're going to honor God as we read. So I'm going to read out of the CEV, which is the Contemporary English Version, but it's going to be up on the screen if you don't have your Bibles. All right, so Mark 5. In the crowd was a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. She had gone to many doctors. And they had not done anything except cause her a lot of pain. She had paid them all the money she had, but instead of getting better, she only got worse. This woman had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him in the crowd and barely touched his clothes. She had said to herself, if I can just touch his clothes, I will get well. As soon as she touched him, her bleeding stopped and she knew she was well. At that moment, Jesus felt power go out from him. He turned to the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, look at all these people crowding around you. How can you ask who touched you? But Jesus turned to see who had touched him. The woman knew what had happened to her. She came shaking with fear and knelt down in front of Jesus. Then she told him the whole story. Jesus said to the woman, you are now well because of your faith. May God give you peace. You are healed and will no longer be in pain. All right, everybody sit down. Thank you for standing. So as we dive in, so our theme is Jesus serves social justice. So what does social justice mean? Social justice can be defined as generously righting wrongs, having a social concern, especially toward the poor and vulnerable. So think about it this way. Jesus generously rights wrongs. Jesus, especially toward the, he, Jesus, excuse me, Let me try again. Jesus having a social concern, especially towards the poor and vulnerable. So as we dive into Mark, we're gonna look at kind of three particular things that I feel like the Holy Spirit wants me to share with you. So the first one is, is the nameless woman is determined. Okay, so repeat this with me. The nameless woman is determined. Very good. So as we see in the first couple verses, Mark shares with us that this woman had been chronically sick for 12 years. Okay, so chronically sick. So when we first might glance at the passage, we're thinking, okay, cool, this woman was sick, Jesus healed her, awesome, she was healed, faith in Jesus, moving on to the next thing. However, I feel that the Lord was doing a little bit more work within this passage. In order for us to understand that, we got to go back to the Old Testament. So in Leviticus chapter 15, it basically gives the guidelines for kind of Jewish women and the Jewish people, And explicitly within this chapter, it talks about how if a woman is bleeding, she is considered unclean and unworthy, and she has to be completely isolated from society. So imagine, we know from Mark that this woman has been chronically sick for 12 years. So I imagine she's not only been isolated from society, she could have been isolated from her family, her friends, her community, her religious group, as well as she had to be, probably felt like a complete social outcast. And so as we look at this, we then see, and I want to propose to you that if I was in her shoes, I would feel lonely, I would feel angry, I would feel hurt, and I would feel isolated. But then I love it, because then we see it towards the middle of Mark, but she heard about Jesus. So I imagine this woman, knowing what her label is from society, she then chooses, even though she's supposed to be socially isolated, she's got to get to Jesus, so her determination and her grit, she's like, no, nah, I got to get to Jesus. If I get to Jesus, he can heal me, and everything's going to be fine. And so what I love it is that I want to honor her faith, because despite what society said about her, and despite these guidelines that were placed on her, she was like, no, I got to get to Jesus. And to me, it shows, man, through her opposition, she has huge faith. And for me, that was a challenge when I read this, because I was like, oh, man, would I go to Jesus? would I go to him if I was feeling that way? So the nameless woman is determined. Next, we're going to look at as Jesus is a disruptor. So I've got it on the screen. So say that with me. Jesus is a disruptor. So this is my favorite part of the story because this is where Jesus ensures social justice, but then he's countercultural. So what does disruptor mean? So I had to look it up because I wanted to make sure I understood. And so it's defined as a person or thing that prevents something, especially a system, a process, or event from continuing as usual or expected. So I'm going to read it again. Disruptor means a person or thing that prevents something, especially a system, a process, or event from from continuing as usual or expected. So what I love about this is that Jesus is in this situation, right? He's going through this crowd. We see there's a lot of people in Mark five. However, I wanna propose to you because Jesus is God. He already knew the woman's social location. He knew she was chronically sick and he knew her social status. But then I love it because as we see, he chose to disrupt society. So this woman grabbed his clothes because she knew she had to be healed, encountered Jesus, was healed, but then I wanna propose to you that Jesus ensured social justice for the woman because he generously rights our wrongs, correct? However, what I love is that in this passage, it also says Jesus turned. Okay, so let's think about it. He turned to see who touched him. So this woman who is supposed to be isolated and is deemed unclean and unworthy of society, Jesus then publicly acknowledges her. He sees her. Jesus not only sees her and acknowledges her, but I wanna propose to you that he sees and acknowledges us and ensures our social justice. Also, what I love is that as we go through Mark, we see that the woman was shaking in fear. Okay, because I imagine in her mind, she's thinking, okay, I've left my isolation. I'm amidst this crowd. I wonder if everyone knew her medical condition, if everyone knew she was deemed unworthy in her community, So in her mind, she might be thinking, oh, well, Jesus, I'm healed, but he's gonna treat me like everyone else. He's gonna publicly shame me, he's going to condemn me. However, what I love is that when Jesus turned to look at her, he didn't shame her, he affirmed her. And in one moment, Jesus set her free, not only from societal expectation, but healed her physically, spiritually, emotionally, culturally, and socially in one moment. What's amazing to me as well is that in some versions, and this is where I'm going to cry, so y'all need to know I'm a crier. Feelings are wonderful and they are amazing, so you should embrace them. The thing is, is that some versions say
1: Jesus addressed her as a daughter. And what amazes me is that amidst her feelings of unworth and of feeling unloved and feeling unseen, amidst this crowd of possibly other believers. We don't know who was in the crowd. We know the disciples were in the crowd. He looks at her and affirms her and calls her daughter. So what I want to propose to you is that what he was saying publicly to everyone, she doesn't belong to society, she belongs to me. And God does the same thing for us. Because what I love about this passage is that it ensures social justice because it shows Jesus generously corrected and righted this woman's wrong. He had social concern because she was vulnerable. However, though, aren't we all like the
0: woman? When I was reading this, I'd wondered, I'm like, I wonder why Mark didn't name her. Because when we look through the Bible, there's so many women that are named. And I thought for a minute, I thought, you know what? I wonder if like Mark and the Holy Spirit, when he was like writing the scriptures, he didn't name her because we're all her. Because at one moment, we all have to reach out to Jesus. We have to, we reach out and we encounter him. And when we encounter him, he looks on us with compassion. He doesn't look on us with condemnation. He does not look on us with shame. He looks at us and says, you are my son and you are my daughter. So whatever label society might place on you, it is fully removed by Jesus when you come into a relationship with him because you are a daughter and a son of the Most High King. Also... As we look, remember the picture I showed you earlier of my girls that kind of had their faces covered? So according to Thai culture, and especially in Thai indigenous culture, if you are a survivor and a victim of human trafficking, your whole family is publicly shamed. So if the community you find out where you live, if they find out that you have been trafficked, they then will publicly shame your family and ostracize you. On top of, then the whole town will gossip about you. So a lot of the girls that I worked with, their own families didn't even know they were trafficked because they had to keep it silent to ensure that their families would not reap cultural shame because of what happened to them. However, what I love is that despite this label, of being a victim of human trafficking. When my girls encountered Jesus in one moment, he set them free from physical enslavement and spiritual enslavement. And he doesn't just do that for them, he does that for us. And the moment you encounter him, Jesus sets us free. Lastly, as I was studying through this passage, I felt like the Lord was just saying, when culture wants to keep women bound, Jesus sets women free. Okay, so when culture wants to keep women bound, Jesus sets women free. All right, so let's look back at it. This woman, she's been deemed unclean and unworthy by society. She's supposed to be in complete and total isolation until she's well. Well, that's been 12 years. So 12 years, she's been oppressed. She's been marginalized. We don't know what, she had family or she had friends. But then I love it because... Jesus, like we said, then turned and looked at her. So during the historical time in Mark, women were not honored, women were not respected, they were dismissed. But then what I love, in a public setting, Jesus turns to a woman and publicly acknowledges acknowledges her, affirms her faith, and heals her. So what I wanna propose to you that through Mark 5, what Jesus shows us is Jesus protected women He empowered women. He honored women publicly. He released the voice of the woman. He confided in women, was funded by women, celebrated by women, learned from women, respected women, and spoke of women of examples. Because Jesus is countercultural. Because when he looks at us, he doesn't see our sin and our shame. He sees that we are a daughter and that we are a son. What I love as well is that Jesus disrupts society, so he makes a system change, okay? He changes a process because Jesus follows the kingdom expectation, not societal expectation. So you might be thinking, okay, Tina, that's, that's great. Jesus, like, serves social justice. He, like, generously rights our wrongs. Okay, I get it. He died for me on the cross. But you don't understand, You don't understand what it's like to be judged by society. You don't understand what it's felt like to be isolated. I'm here to tell you
1: that I do. And whenever I share my testimony, it always brings me to tears because one, I'm remorseful for my sin, but I'm also so grateful that when I was in the pit and I reached out for Jesus, he did not look at me and say that I was worthless. He did not look at me and say I was devalued. He looked at me and called me a daughter because I can tell you from the time I was 19 until I was about 25, I lived a life of complete and total rebellion. If you said it, I did it. I did not care. I was mean
0: for sport. Part of my goal, if I could make you cry because I could cut you with my words, then that was a good day. I was vicious and I was unkind,
1: but then when I was in the midst of my pit and I was in despair, I reached out for Jesus, and he looked at me, and he did not see, he did not shame me or condemn me. He said I was a daughter, and he does the same for you. When you reach out for him, and you're like, I've got to
0: have this relationship with you. You are a daughter, and you are a son. So I'm going to have everyone stand, please. And we're going to kind of change it up. So I'm going to have everyone bow their heads and close their eyes. So maybe you're here tonight, and you are like, Tina, I don't know God. I don't know him. But you have this desire to know him, and you want to reach out for him, just like our woman in the story. And if that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer. So everyone's heads bowed, their eyes are enclosed. And if you are desiring To have a relationship with the Lord, then you can say this silently to yourself, okay? So you can repeat it after me. Dear Jesus, I know that I have sinned and made mistakes, but I know that you came to this earth to die on the cross and take on my sin and punishment so that I could be in a relationship with you and spend eternity with you. Please forgive me of my sin Save me and come into my life so that I become a part of your family. Thank you for saving me. Now, if you prayed this prayer, I'm going to kind of ask you to do something a little bit brave. Is that if you prayed this prayer and you have entered into a relationship with God, I'm going to ask you to take the hand of one friend or two friends. I'm going to ask you to get out of your row and have you walk to the back. And you're going to meet a leader that's there. So if you prayed this prayer, I'm gonna have you grab the hand of your friend and you can walk to the back and there's gonna be a leader that's gonna meet you there. (coughs) However, to those of us that have a relationship with the Lord, I know for me, there are times that I have felt hopeless, I have felt defeated, I have felt angry and I have felt frustrated But however, if you are feeling that right now, I'm going to ask you to do something brave. I'm going to have you look up at me. I'm going to have you look at me in the eyes because I want to make eye contact with you. So if that's you, I want you to look up and I want you to look at me in the eyes because I want to have contact with you. Okay, now if you're looking at me, now I'm going to ask you to do something else. I'm going to have you walk up here to the front. And this is a safe place. So if you're feeling this way, I want you to come up here. And if you don't want to come up here and you want to stay in your seat, then that is okay too. Because this is a safe place. First off, I want to honor you for being brave and coming up here. And secondly, I want to look at each and every one of you. So I want to like encounter your looks. I want you to look at me because when I say this, I deeply mean this from the bottom of my heart. All of you are valued, you are seen, and you are worthy. And God sees you, and he knows your pain and your frustration, he knows your sadness, he knows your feelings of hopelessness. However, whatever label society has placed on you, when you encounter the Lord, you are set free, because your identity is in Christ. So, I'm gonna have us do is I just wanna pray over you and I just wanna ask just the Holy Spirit just to give you courage and peace and joy and that when you go to school tomorrow, that you know that your identity is a daughter of the king and that you are a son of the king. Okay, there is nothing anyone can say that will take that away from you because you belong to God. You are in a relationship with Him. All right, so let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you for every student that is up here. And Lord, I just ask that you empower them and that as they go out, that they know without a shadow of a doubt that they are a daughter and a son of the King. God, I ask as they go into school that you go before them and you give them peace and you give them joy and you give them conviction and that you remind them that you ensured their social justice. You generously wrote their wrongs when Jesus died on the cross. God, I ask that they will encounter you through worship. I ask that they will encounter you through your word. And Lord, I just pray that you just surround them with people that can love and encourage them. Lord, I thank you that they are known and seen and valued by you and that their worth is in you. God, I thank you for hope. I thank you that you are good and that you are kind and you are just. I thank you for salvation and I thank you for every single student that's here and that you go before them and that you have a destiny for them. Lord, I just proclaim your hope and your peace and that you will just encourage them as they journey through their life with you. We love you so much, God, and we ask these things in your name, amen.